0: One of the things you learn when you're a pastor's kid is that anything you say or do can and will be used against you. In a sermon illustration... Also, as a pastor, like all kinds of things um, that you do, it's like, oh, wow. And then it's like, oh, wow, that's actually a great sermon illustration. And so I've been telling you the last few weeks about, oh, uh, we took this trip with our middle school kids um, here about three, four weeks ago and took them to this great adventure, Christian adventure camp. My brother actually helped start this ministry um, back in, uh, oh, man, about 10, 11 years ago. And they do... Uh, take people rafting and rock climbing and hiking and use it as an opportunity to talk about faith and have conversations about Jesus. And so it's a great organization called Journey Quest. So our youth group joined them and uh, went uh, went on a week-long trip. And I got to go along. Uh, my son was, is in middle school, and so I was a lot of fun hanging out with him. And my brother's been bugging me for like 10 years to go rafting with him, and I never have. And so this was actually the first time that I got to go rafting, and we spent two days on the river, uh, which was Amazing family time, a lot of fun, uh, and some great kids. We had a blast uh, out on the river. And uh, the first thing my brother did when we got to the river was he gave us the uh, the river talk. And there were three rules. And if you're in here and you were on the trip, you can shout them out uh, if you remember that. Right? What are the three rules? Stay in the boat. Stay in the boat. Stay in the boat. Those are the three rules. No. And so he teaches you how to do that, and like uh, you got to tuck your feet in really good. And then um, there's a T-handle. You, you get a paddle. It has a T-handle. And you need to stay focused to keep your hands on the T-handle um, so that you can paddle hard to help you stay in the boat when you hit the rabbits, uh, so that you don't hit rocks and get bounced off, and also so you don't knock your, your partner's teeth out next to you. So... Those are like the the couple things you had to do. And so we practiced and they'd say like forward left and those on the left side had to paddle and forward right, right? And then you try to spin around. And then one of the fun things we did uh, was splash battles. And so whenever you'd hit this, like, sort of calm section of water, uh, we were in the lead boat, and a couple of boats behind us drew our uh, youth intern, and um, and Caleb, one of our youth staff, and they were in the boats, and we would battle it out, and the kids uh, really loved that. Our boat, we had a, they did a, I don't know, a Tuscan Raider roar or something, I, I don't get it, but they sure had fun, and uh, it was a it was a lot of fun, it felt like being a kid, again, but something happened on the first trip. Uh, The first day they took us on sort of the easy route so we could learn how to do it right. And as we were approaching, one of the the rapids, we were having a lot of fun and the kids were just like in this splash battle and trying to soak. And my brother's over here going, forward all, forward all. And and everybody's just splashing, like ignoring him. And he's like, come on guys, paddle, forward. And nobody paddles. And so sure enough, we hit a rock, um, which if you're in a raft, you just bounce, right? But we hit this rock and um, one of uh, our our guys goes bloop, violated the three rules. Jumped off, went for a little swim. You know, it was a little dramatic for a moment, but it was all fine. It was the easy route. But we got him back in the boat. And my brother said, Hey, if I tell you paddle, you paddle. You focus. And it was really interesting because as everybody was like having fun, really like, you know, we wanted to win the splash battle in the midst of it. (laughs) Like, we're going to like maybe all end up in the river if we don't pay attention, end up on the rock, get stuck. And here's one of the things I've noticed about life. In life, you tend, it's so easy to get distracted and lose sight of the point, right? It's so easy to get in a splash battle again about something that maybe isn't really that vital and miss out on things that are actually the most important things in life. Like we said last week, um, most. Important, Like most things that are important to do in life, they don't happen by accident. But it's so easy to get distracted with other stuff, to get caught up in petty things when you need to be rowing hard in a direction. And it's so easy to end up winding up on a rock trying to figure out, oh, great, how do I get moving again? And so as we look at this text here in just a little bit, in 2 Timothy, uh, today I want to especially talk to men. And there's a couple reasons for that. One is because this passage, um, really, I mean, Paul is addressing Timothy, his spiritual son, and there's some things in here very specific to men. Now, it applies broadly to women, too, um, so don't worry, you can tune in. Uh, But... When it comes to men, um, there was a famous author named, named Thoreau, and, and he once observed something about men, and he said, the mass of men live lives of quiet desperation. Anybody heard that quote? The mass of men live lives of quiet desperation. There's this thing he observed in so many men where there's this, this like quiet desperation. There's this need in their life that's not being met, not being fulfilled. And so many men just sort of resigned themselves to that. That's what he Discovered now years ago. I read a book that really illustrates this. Uh, it's Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. Anybody read that? Great book. Um. John Eldridge, he, he observed this in men, and he would do counseling with men and, and retreats and, and lead men's ministries, and, and he made some observations about things going on in the hearts of men. And here's, here's a quote that he, that he wrote in this book. He said this, There are three desires I find written so deeply into my heart. I know now I can no longer disregard them without losing my soul. I searched the pages of literature I listen carefully to many, many men, and I am convinced these desires are universal, a clue into masculinity itself. They may be misplaced, forgotten, or misdirected, but in the heart of every man is a desperate desire for a battle to fight, an adventure to live, and a beauty to rescue. He's, he, so, what he's saying is inside of every man, um, every boy, as a boy grows into a man, there's this thing that God, he has observed that God has hired, wired into us, that there's this longing for, for a worthy battle to fight, for something to like give ourselves to, for an adventure, something to do that, that, that is an adventure in life, an adventure to live. And for the princess, right? For a beauty to rescue. And I, you, you go look at books and movies. I mean, so many of Guy's favorite movies, and I know it's a stereotype, but you know, the Brave Hearts and the epic movies with just that, that thing that, that the, the guy like gets over himself and gives himself to a cause worthy of, right? And of course, there's always a beauty to rescue in the middle of there, right? That's the movie. And it's this thing, and Eldridge recognizes this and said, there's something hardwired into that. But instead, so many men, instead of living that life they might have dreamed of as a a boy or a teen, they end up resigning themselves and living a life in a sense of quiet desperation. Why is that? I think in in the middle of it, there's several reasons. One is that uh, oftentimes men choose not to fight in the battle. Instead of battling the true enemy of our souls, instead of um, spending their lives and giving their lives on a bigger thing worth fighting for, um, they become passive. Oftentimes that works itself out in not fighting for family or not really fighting, not truly engaging in their faith. Um, Others sort of live um, vicariously, and their only battle is is what they watch, you know, lived out on the football field or on the MMA gym. What is it called? Court? Yeah. Thing. You know. Ring. That's it. That's it. Yeah, I was thinking of the cage. Yeah. Fight club. Anyway. And many men don't end up actually fighting the things in their own lives that have the tendency to sabotage them. Instead of a worthy adventure to live, so many times that adventure gets turned over to just more, more, more. Right? More money, more comfort, more pleasure, more success, more ego, and that becomes the adventure. Just trying to achieve more, instead of um, the uh, a purity and the beauty that we fight for, someone to sacrifice for, to love like Jesus loves His church. Um, women so often become actually an idol in men's life, an object in men's life. And here's what I know, guys. If we don't get to the bottom of some of these things that Eldridge talks about, uh, we, we run the risk that, uh, of going after them in all these wrong ways, trying to fill that void in all these wrong ways. And inevitably, when these things leave us empty, that quiet desperation will kick in. And when that happens, what guys usually tend to do is just double down on all these things that didn't work to begin with, didn't fill that thing to begin with in an effort to just distract themselves or they just resign themselves to this is just the way that life is. And so today we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're in the book of 2 Timothy for five weeks here in the middle of our series in John, um, kind of a little break and what I really want to look at as we go through this uh, this chapter, and we're going to move quickly, made, I'm not going to go in quite as much detail as I often do, um, because I want to catch the heart of what I see are three major themes that in order to get, um, in order to, to defend from living this way, um, of going after all the wrong things, from finding ourselves um, in this place of desperation, there's three things we need to guard ourselves against. if you want to be an effective follower of Jesus and live a life on purpose, I see three things in this chapter, really, that I think men need to be very aware of. And Paul starts out I'm going to pick up where we left off the two verses we left off with last week. Paul speaking to Timothy, his son in the faith, his protege. Um, he'll say this. He says, "You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. When should be strong." he says. And, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. And like we said last week, if you missed, you can go catch up. But you need a Paul in your life. And you also need a Timothy. But you need somebody in your life, especially if you're a young man, somebody that's a few years down the road, somebody that loves God with all their heart saying, hey, be strong. Men need someone telling them, be strong, don't wimp out, don't go passive in life. You need to remember, uh, um, and we need to be reminded. And we talked about this that our Christian faith is always only one generation from fading from memory in our community, in our families. If people don't pass it on, if people don't, like Timothy, don't pass on the message, Pass on the faith that's been given to them. And so Paul starts out. And then he's going to invite Timothy to do something really exciting. And how many of you think this would be like a good recruiting strategy? He goes on. He says this. Join me. Join me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Literally the Greek here. It means this idea of laborious like toil of perseverance, um, maybe a better translation is actually join me in hardship. Come do really hard things with me. Come suffer a little bit, you sissy. Uh, I I added that. That wasn't, and Paul didn't say that. You know, I mean, when do we like call people to this kind of thing? Other than like CrossFit and, I don't know, the Marines commercial or something, you know? Paul, he looks at Timothy and he's, and I mean, he, he didn't just come up with this. You know that, right? Because Jesus gathers his disciples around him and Jesus tells them something that's very hard. He says, hey, do you want to be my disciple? are like, yeah, we're in. He said, okay, take up your cross and follow me. Now to us, we think of a cross and it's really become um, overturned. 2,000 years, a religious symbol in our minds. Sometimes, so many times, you know, maybe a, a j- piece of jewelry, something special. Um, maybe it was something up on your grandma's wall and always gave you warm, fuzzy feelings. Literally, the cross is an execution stake. I mean, this, is, this would have been shocking to Jesus' disciples. Take up your cross and follow me. Take up your electric chair and come on, let's go. W- what? What? I'm not so sure I would do that Jesus and Paul here he he gets something he gets this i he he knows hey this thing that I signed up for is worth whatever hardship I encounter in life it's worth it and Paul tells Timothy hey whatever situation you find yourself in because you're in a hard place right now I know I'm in prison. You're leading a church. You've got people inside the church that are causing problems and drama and false teachers you have to deal with. You're getting persecuted from outside. You're in a culture where it's not easy to be a Christian. It's not easy to say Jesus is Lord in a a culture that expects you to say Caesar is Lord and worship him like a God. Instead to say, I'm going to submit my life only to Jesus. He's my Lord And Paul says, hey, I want you to stay faithful, to persevere, do hard things. Do hard things. Man, you need somebody in your life who can call you to stuff like that. He says, be a good soldier. And then he goes on to illustrate what he means by this. And he's gonna give us uh, three different pictures here. In verse four, he says, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. He says, the motivation of a soldier, man, the honor, the respect of of serving alongside my fellow soldiers, and most of all, pleasing the commanding officer. If you want a a reward in the army, man, stay focused. You're not going to go start start a pizza shop. Uh, That's fine if you own a pizza shop. We have a couple in our church that do, so that's great, you know. Uh, I I could come up with something different instead. (laughs) But he said, I want you to stay focused. If you're a soldier, don't go distracted. Stay focused. Right. Similarly, verse 5, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. Like if you want the prize, if if you want the prize, you need to, well, don't disqualify yourself by doing it your own way. You listen to the instructions that God gives you. How many, I mean, guys, like how many of you, you all know the sinking feeling when the, the game-winning touchdown your team made, right? And then they do the replay. There's a flag. There's, you know, they challenge it. And yep, he stepped out of bounds. And it's like, oh, and that's the picture here. Don't like blow it by disqualifying yourself when you have a, something vital and important to do. Verse 6, the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. In other words, like, if you want to receive, if you want to reap the reward so diligently, so diligently, like there's a proper order of things, Paul's saying. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight. Insight into all of this. So Paul gives us basically three illustrations, but one main point. And if you want to take notes, I've got three things for you this evening. Three things that I think, especially for men, but really for all of us, that we need to guard against if if we want to stay on track, if we don't want to end up paddling, like getting distracted and splashing and ending up on a rock or swimming in the river, drifting away from the boat. There's, There's... three things here. And the first one is this guard your focus, guard your focus. And the point Paul's making is I want you to stay focused, stay focused on the mission that Jesus gave you. Timothy, you have a very specific calling in, in leadership and in this church. Stay focused. Don't get distracted. You're, you're having to deal with some hard stuff. Do the hard stuff. Don't wimp out. Uh, chapter one, God's not given us a spirit of fear i got to remind you, like, hey, that timidity that you feel, no, God's given you a spirit of power, of love, of a sound mind. He's equipped you to do this thing. Stay focused. Stay focused on living the way that he instructs. Work hard. Don't give up too soon because there's a reward. It'll be worth it. Stay on track. Remember, this is Paul, and he has real clarity at this point. In his life, he's sitting in a jail cell under, the, under um, Caesar Nero, this crazy guy who, who is persecuting Christians. And he knows his time is short, and so he has real clarity. And so he brings Timothy... In staying on focus now, Paul is going to bring Timothy's focus right back on to what's most important. Verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember what this whole story is about. Jesus Christ. Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the Messiah, the one who was to come. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, God's people, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Remember, Paul says, stay focused on what it's all about. The story is about Jesus. The story is about Jesus. And see, it's so easy for us in life um, to, to end up making the story about ourselves. For the movie, for for the story in, in America these days, for the story of life, to, for me to play the lead role in the story that's all about me, the movie that's all about me so easy for that to happen, to get off track, to lose focus. Like we, like, like we began saying, it's so easy for us to reframe this sort of idea of the, you know, the battle, the fight, the adventure to live, the beauty to rescue, and just in terms of living for ourselves, isn't it? Where it becomes about pleasure, about comfort, about success, about ego. Where it all becomes about me. And Paul says, that's not... If you want to live a life worth living as a follower of Jesus, that's not the way to live it. We have a tendency to become very self-focused and in the midst of that to lose sight of what the whole story is all about. And you lose sight of what the whole story is about, I guarantee you, you're going to find yourself you know, <laughs> in the water without your paddle, drifting away, losing sight of the story. You're going to find yourself in this state of quiet desperation. Going like, how do I get back on track? How did my life end up here? So Paul says, guard your focus. And he says, there's real eternal things at stake here. Why does he stay focused at the end of there? That they too, those those that uh, followers of Jesus that aren't followers of Jesus yet that they may obtain the salvation that's in Christ Jesus. He's saying, like, I understand. I am in this all the way because I understand there's eternal consequences. there's people that need to hear about Jesus. And if I get distracted and off focus, man, I'm just going to live my life for myself. And there's going to be people who don't hear about Jesus because of it. He goes on in verse 11. He says this, here is a trustworthy saying. So he's kind of putting a ribbon on this whole little section. Here's a trustworthy saying. We think this was probably a poem or a song maybe they sing. He says, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Man, I'm telling you, if you don't understand the blessing in story in eternity, you won't have the hope to live the way Paul lived if you face hardship. That life isn't easy. Jesus said, in this life, you will have trials. But take heart, I've overcome the world. So Paul, as he's sitting here in prison, um, thinking about this, this message that God's entrusted him to, the gospel, the good news of Jesus for the Gentiles that he's you know, planted these little churches all over the, the Mediterranean Rim, all over the Roman Empire at this point. And he's sitting in prison. He knows he's not doing what he's doing for an earthly reward. He knows there, there is an eternal reward. And so he, he says that. Like, if we endure, we will also reign with him. When he comes back, man, it's going to be amazing beyond anything. You can imagine. If we disown him, he will also disown us. This is a sobering part of this little poem. But it draws us back to the words of Jesus where Jesus spoke to some who were religious, who thought maybe they were in because of their religion, because of the things that they had done. And Jesus said, away from me, I never knew you. And there's this idea here that for those that don't trust in Jesus, that deny, that that don't believe on his name. But then he goes on in verse 13, and I love it. He says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. And there's this beautiful picture. Remember Peter denies Jesus three times? And then Jesus goes after him. And there's this beautiful thing cuz it's not all on you. Like we lose faith sometimes. We lose heart sometimes. We get discouraged sometimes. We we get distracted and fall out of the boat sometimes. And he pulls us back in. Cuz it's on him. That's that's the heart of grace. He remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. He's faithful. And Paul is in this prison cell thinking about God's story, like the bigger story. So guard, guard your focus. The second thing is this, guard the truth. Guard the truth. So Paul inspires us, and now he's going to get down to some nitty-gritty instructions For Timothy, verse 14. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Guard the truth, he says. When it comes to the truth of God's word, I, in order to, to be someone who correctly handles the word of truth, what do you have to do? Know it. You have to read it. You have to let it sink into your heart and your life. And then you have to, you have to hang your head on it. It has to be the thing that sets your standard for, for how I live and how I relate to God and how I live my life in the middle of this culture that maybe doesn't have, want to have a thing to do with God. And yet the way he's calling me to live is tied to the truth, the word of God, Jesus, truth, the word of God claims to be the truth, and useful. In fact, we're, we're going to get to that next chapter. That, that all Scripture is God breathed and is it is useful for correcting and teaching and training and righteousness. And so he says to Timothy, "I want you uh, to guard the truth, guard the truth." In, in this life that you live in, because it, our tendency in life is when we start to bump up against a culture that says there's no such thing as truth, or you have your truth and I have my truth, um, we tend to back off of the truth. We tend to, to say, well, maybe that isn't that important. Or when, for so many people, what happens is you begin living your life in a way that isn't in line with the truth and you know it. And something has to give. And instead of aligning your life and saying, okay, God, I know this is the truth. Instead of aligning your life, you got to come up with excuses why that must not be true. Guard the truth. He goes on to say this in verse 16. Avoid godless chatter. Because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. So there's some kind of like bad teaching. There's like side issues that they're arguing and fighting about and all this that's going on in the church at this, that Timothy's pastoring. He says, avoid godless chatter. Those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Can somebody say, ew. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have departed from the truth. They say the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. So idea you know, like basically in the culture the truth of of what what God what Jesus said that you know we will be raised along he was he was the first one raised from the dead and we will be raised and we will reign and rule with him in a new heavens and, and a new earth. They just sort of spiritualized the whole thing. It was more of a convenient thing, more culturally acceptable. Well, it's not really going to happen. It's just sort of, you know, in the spiritual by and by, it'll all work itself out. And they began denying core things of the faith. And Paul says they've wandered from the truth. And in this, as they, as they stop hanging on to the truth, because the culture, it's kind of hard to have this, this uh, position in the culture. It's kind of strange. People think you're strange. They start wandering away from what's true. And the result of that is they destroy the faith of, of people. Like, people lose faith in Jesus, they lose hope. See, the things we allow in our lives, as uh, there's a phrase, ideas have consequences. And when you go and look at societies and societies that end up walking away from God and the principles of God, inevitably people suffer. Um, you see, God, what, what scripture claims is God designed this world because he designed the world. He gets to say what's, he, he reveals to us how it all is meant to work, right? And when you choose to live your life in opposition to the truth, to the word of God, it won't go well for you. Some of you have tried to live your life in opposition to the law of gravity. Maybe, probably, hopefully, when you were younger, right? You are jumping your bikes or skis or something. Or trying to, I, my friend told me to jump off a short cliff once. That didn't go well for me. It wasn't too, too tall, thankfully. He was athletic. I wasn't. He jumped. He was fine. I jumped, twisted my ankle. Um, I had to walk out, like, three miles on it. The law of gravity, You can align yourself with the truth or bang your head up against the truth, but the truth will prevail. What God says is true is true. It's how the world works. So you would be best off to read it, to learn it, to know it, and to align your life with it. Guard the truth. And the next thing Paul's going to talk about is our character. Guard your character, guard your conduct. He goes on to say this, verse 19. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm. Sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. See, there's a, an active response to faith in Jesus. You have been saved not because of anything you have done. It's a free gift of him. But the grace That saves you. Also, the Holy Spirit that indwells you helps you do what this says turn away from wickedness. Align your character to follow Him. He goes on in verse 20 In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes, and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master and prepared to do any good work." Now, uh, there's cultures all over the world where you never shake with your left hand or eat with your left hand. And there's a reason for that. Has to do with a certain paper product that uh, couldn't never be found on shelves for a little while in 2020, right? You can say you again if you want, that's okay. But it's true. <laughs> and so they would understand this in this kind of culture. There were things like you would you would muck the stalls out with. Did some of that on a farm growing up. Paul says, Hey, there's things God's calling you to do, but if you want to get to them. You need to make sure your character is on track. You need to make sure your character is aligned with His Word. He goes on in verse 22: He says, Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. See, it's about guarding your character. And when he says this, it isn't something like, hey, just for young people. No, he's saying these, and especially guys, listen up, like the, the evil desires of youth aren't really something that just go away when you're 30, 40, 50, 60, or 70. It doesn't happen. The same things that tripped you up then, they probably look a little different, but they're going to keep trying to trip you up. So pay attention to it. I, I remember I had a, um, a pastor friend, um, guy a ministry guy I worked with, and he used to say this. I thought it had stuck with me for like 20-some years. He says, like, guys particularly predictably fall into the same three traps. Gold, girls, and glory. Gold, girls, and glory. Like you want to talk about the things that typically trip trip up a guy? Yeah, it's going to have something to do with with money and that like constant pursuit of more, 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 and making life all about that and seeking that. Or um, girls, right? Or glory that like that ego inside of me. That thing that wants to take pride in how I'm seen, and drives me maybe. To live that life of desperation drives me to always be distracted, paddling like in ways that actually um, are bringing me somewhere where I don't need to go, right? He goes on, he wraps this up this way in verse 23 uh, Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. See, it's not just about like the common things that we we think about. It's not just about lust, guys, right? It's also about those things inside that drive us to respond and react out of anger. How do you interact with other people? I think so many guys struggle with either passivity or a seething anger. That there's just this underlying anger that drives your life. And so many times, this is the result of just like this, this posturing to hide an inward wound. Eldridge in, in that book talks about this all the time. That there's things that happen, like in your upbringing, there was rejections, there were breakups, there was failures, there was your dad, there was um, all kinds of things like that that never got dealt with. The times you tried, it stepped up and got smacked down. And guys just tend to bury that wound deep inside. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine last week that uh, recently had a surgery. And I thought it was such a profound thing. Um, She told me, like, even though um, she's recovering really fast on the outside, it looks like everything's fine, and yet there's still these deep wounds under the surface. That's such a description of so many people's lives. That there's these deep things, and they've they've never taken the time to find somebody to really talk to them. They've never taken the humbled themselves enough to go see a counselor, to like actually work through some of these things. And so there's just this underlying anger and this tendency to just fly off the handle, to be quarrelsome, to be angry, to be resentful. Paul says, hey, don't waste your time getting involved in all kinds of arguments that aren't, that are just like the splash battles. They're not the main thing your life should be focused on. And yet you're so upset about it, you're so angry about it. Yes, there's obviously, I mean, you see how strong Paul says, stand up to the truth. And yet, there's a way you're gonna do that. And you gotta watch yourselves, guys, when you begin to get into these arguments and you feel that thing rise, you feel that anger just starting to rise up. And check yourself: like, why is this? Why is this? I, chances are it's your pride. Something is pushing on that thing. Something's pushing on that wound inside your heart that you've never taken the time to, that you've never, t- you know, gotten some guys that you can just be honest with. Never taken it to the Lord and actually like walk through a season of experience healing in that area. And so the pride rises up. Somebody touches that thing and it's just like you react. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. There's a way to bring correction. There's a way. In fact, Paul goes on, and here's how he closes, 25 and 26. He says, opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. And I love this because even on like vital issues of faith that Paul's talking about, he says, here's what your heart should be. Here's where your heart should be. Like, yeah, there's things you got to address. There's there's hills that, man, you need to bring correction to this area. But the tone of a follower of Jesus should be winsome, should be winsome. What do I mean by winsome? Winning some people. Right? Winning people to Jesus, like not driving people away from Jesus. That even though we might not agree, even though I may think, man, you're, you're off base, even though you, you, you don't agree with anything I, I believe in, or, you know, on this, all these issues, the way I speak to you with graciousness, the way I present my case is such. That hopefully you're drawn more to Jesus. See, that's the heart of somebody who follows Jesus. We've said it before, other people are not the enemy. This is so important to remember. So important to remember in an election year. So important to remember when we're like facing cultural issues and battles. So important to remember when maybe we're we're having conversations about theology or different things with people who disagree or have a different opinion. Um, Even though you may have the truth on your side, other people aren't the enemy. They're not the enemy. They're the mission field. They're the ones God has called you to love and reach out to and hopefully they would what come to repentance and acknowledge the truth ultimately the main goal is that they would find Jesus that they would go Jesus you're my king and all of a sudden everything begins to shift and change in their life because when Jesus is your king and you live like he's your king man your life's going to look different right guard your character guard your character. So three things, three things. Guard your focus. Let me ask you, are you the lead character in the movie that's all about your life and God is just sort of a two-bit actor on the side supporting, playing a supporting role to you? If you're honest, Like the way you live your life, or, or is the story all about him? And you're the supporting actor in the story that's all about him and what he wants to accomplish in this world. And you get up and do your thing, Haley, in a way that draws others to him. Guard your focus. Guard the truth. Where are you shrinking back from standing on the truth of God's word? Maybe that's in order to be more comfortable with the way you're living. Maybe that's to be more comfortable with the way you interact with society. Where are you shrinking back from like standing on the truth of God's word? And the third, guard your character. How's your heart doing? How's your soul? No, really? Are you being honest with yourself? Like, how are you doing? Is there anything in your life that would sabotage you? That would take you out of the game? That would, that would bring shame to Jesus? That would give others the, the opportunity to go, ah, oh, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. You know, without constantly recentering our lives on Jesus, we automatically drift away from this stuff. That's the current of life, right? We, we, it's so easy. We all find ourselves in the splash battle and all of a sudden realize we're in the rapids and we better pay attention. That's why, that's why the spiritual disciplines that the church has promoted for thousands of years actually are really important. Like reading your Bible, meditating on scripture, memorizing scripture, having, making it part of you. I think one of the best things you can do is, is to pray the Lord's Prayer consistently. Why? Because every time you do, it re-centers your heart. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Oh yeah, the story's about you. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, it's your story. I guess I'm just a supporting actor in what you're doing. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, I'm dependent on you. Forgive us our sins because I blow it all the time as we forgive those who sin against us. Oh, yeah, there's bitterness in my heart. I need to let go of that. Lead us not into temptation, Lord. There's so many temptations in life. Protect me, Lord. Deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Just that simple act of making that a consistent part of your, of your life, I think, is huge. And then getting some people around you. Guys, this isn't your tendency. And, and we talked about this last week, and we're, we're working towards this as a church. Ladies, get involved in the ladies' ministry. There's some great ways you can get some people around you to help you live your life and, as a follower of Jesus. You're not meant to do it alone. Would you stand... Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for my friends. and Lord, I just ask that uh, you would give them the courage to, to take the step that they know maybe you're calling them to take. Maybe that's seeing a counselor, Lord. Maybe that's just getting some people around them. Maybe that's getting, Lord, just actually getting consistent in the things you're calling them to do. Would we be focused on you, Lord? Committed to your word. Filled with your Holy Spirit that would then transform our lives and our character as followers of you. We love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.